Hello and welcome to this week's Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. How are you feeling this morning, Ted? I am okay. Another glorious win for the dear leader over the pond uh, last night, or maybe not, I don't know. It's hard to follow US politics, and we'll not go there too too deeply. The dear leader is, uh, <laughs> man, wow, you, you've thrown me off already, James, hadn't <laughs> <laughs> hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of went, I went to I went to sleep last night, and it was looking like it was it was going a bit um, I don't know one way, uh, and uh, it went slightly the other way. So yeah, I mean, we'll have listeners from both sides of the political spectrum. Let's not confuse everybody by suggesting that this is double pivot. That's a different <laughs> pod. Yeah, I'm nat- <laughs> naturally towards the lefter side, but you know, each to their own. Anyway. Uh, yeah, let's not go too far into that. We're here to talk about football. Football! Um, uh, as in soccer. Football, um, football, 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 football. And we'll... What have we got today? We're going to talk about a few little topics around the Premier League, little things that have been picked up. Uh, analyst Yoon has done a little bit of research, <laughs> informed us how, happily. James um, and I were very slack on research this week. So this is what happens. You have a weekly podcast and suddenly, you know... Things get busy. We're a day late in recording. We usually try and record this on a Tuesday, but some idiot was too busy yesterday to do that. That idiot was me. And so we're now on Wednesday. It's the way it goes, isn't it? But, you know, we're here. We're here with content. So let's go. Um, Let's rock. First up, from the weekend, um, you watched Chelsea. So we're going to have a little chat about Chelsea. Who They continue to march on, uh, at least to, to some regard. Continue to look like a fairly decent side. Unbeaten in the league. Uh, are they unbeaten anyway? They might be unbeaten anyway. I mean, it's it's been an impressive start. But uh, what did you take out of their game? You watched them against Palace. So any thoughts about that? Well, you... You kind of flagged this up in in another way, uh, and then you and also flagged this up. But like, there were two elite teams against other teams that looked like a bit of training games. In assuming that we've collected pressures correctly, <laughs> and, and part, <laughs> part of the reason for the Chelsea one is like they had all of the ball, <laughs> just like seventy five percent of the possession was was Chelsea based. Um, you know, I find them intriguing. I they are not stompy like the other two teams but you know one of the concerns about Chelsea coming into this season was where would the goals come from and mm. they are the second leading goal scorers in the league right like higher than Liverpool yeah so, we, <laughs> Liverpool's right. wee little wobble there going on now but yeah no uh, yeah, Morata seems to have suddenly suddenly found uh, his goal scoring shoes again which is not a massive surprise to those I'm of us. shocked never expected <laughs> it not in a million years those of us who have like kind of tracked him uh, he always scored goals didn't get on the pitch too much till he got to Chelsea then he scored goals when he started playing for them and then he had a horrible kind of rut of a run um, for the back end of last season, it looked like he was maybe continuing into this season. Mm, keep playing him. <laughs> Ironically, Giroud has been on a, a quiet patch as well. So maybe well, he's got four assists in in like four hundred <laughs> minutes. That's still pretty good, I've heard. No, but right. you know, like maybe that's why Morata, you know, because it looked like Giroud was replacing Morata. Uh, sorry, Morata at one point, and uh, now Morata's back in the team and scoring goals and. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine. It's uh, I was thinking about watching them. I was thinking about it. it feels it's a bit like Cavani or something. You know, you you you're not necessarily impressed with uh, Morata's overall play, but uh, he'll he'll get some goals. 
And as long as yeah. he's getting his goals, then that's the role in the, that's the role in the team. That's Cavani's role in PSG. That you know that kind of thing. So, I, I had a thing about Willian uh, this past week because I watched this game and I thought like Willian was really quite good. And I think Willian actually feels like he's pretty important for Chelsea because he's you, know, you can't just have guys that that move the ball forward. But like Willian is is sort of full featured and in hockey terms, he's like a defensive forward. In mm-hmm. that, like, you know that he's going to do a lot of forechecking. He's going to get back. He's going to he's going to cause real problems for the other team. Willian does that. Like, he's one of the, the forwards that pressures, but he also progresses the ball, so he takes some stress off of Aiden Hazard, which is really important, too. Like, if you make Hazard, um, you know, more dangerous effectively by making sure that you can't just overload and focus on him. And then Pedro has four goals, too. So, like, you know, they're getting goals. And Ross Barkley, actually. Three goals, three assists. Like, Ross has looked pretty decent. Often against you know lesser teams, but uh, yeah, that's fine. Victor Moses not playing at all, which is you know probably a boon for all the the Chelsea fans as well. Barkley's Barkley's an interesting one actually because I I've, I was head heavily critical of the signing of Barkley, but not for the reason that you know if if he could get fit and find his form, which he's done. I mean, they signed him for fifteen million in January when he was available for free in the summer. He played like after you know, he'd been injured for. a Yonks, uh, and he plays. I don't know, handful of minutes. Obviously, looked off, off the pace last season. Then got injured again. Um, but there was no reason to deal do that deal. That deal was dumb. That was yeah. That was my criticism <laughs> with, with it. You know, the, the, gambling on uh, signing Barkley once he once he had some minutes under his belt felt you know could have been a logical play. Anyway, they did it anyway, and he's back and he's in the team. And uh, yeah, he seems to be seems to be performing all right and with more discipline. Well, they needed that, right? So, like, they needed somebody that can actually shoot. And and the idea of using Conte and Kovacic as your eights, like, Kovacic is an elite passer and, and a very good ball progressor. Like, he's a very good dribbler since since the young days. But he doesn't really put up many goals. Uh, so they they needed somebody who can score as as an eight. Um, and, you know, they, they have enough midfield flexibility. It's not ideal for them. But they can slot in different guys into that bit. Uh, you know, Sesk could potentially play... Um, to, to help unlock teams. So they've got some flexibility there, or they can be like really defensive and obnoxious in a lot of ways. Um, but like the Barkley thing actually is, is pretty interesting because he's been saying that the coaching that he's gotten has really been important. And I guess that's a little bit of a knock against Roberto Martinez and, and Ronald Koeman, but it's kind of intriguing. Like it comes back to a thing that I was talking to a friend of mine in the NBA about recently. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, Last year, I thought this team had the second be- worst coaching in the league, and I think actually that I overestimated. Them. <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's really interesting." But uh, he, he's basically saying that like you know this team that he was looking at had had elite talent, and the coaching staff like really sort of subsumed that. And and the the impact of coaches is is actually often disagreed about in in terms of analytics space. You have the academics who come in and say, "Oh yeah, coaches are are, are fairly small." Um, impact on on teams and I actually did this ages ago like I think two three four years possibly like the the sort of coaching u-curve of their impact right if you've got a really good coach then he can really raise the team up and, and make them more impressive and if you have a really bad coach then he can really dump the team down and they usually end up in in sort of potential relegation areas or you take an elite team and you you sort of finish mid table uh, but most coaches are in that middle bracket so they won't necessarily have a huge impact but that doesn't mean that like you know the potential coaching impact isn't huge it just means that most coaches are average 
So, uh, Man United. No, no, we're not talking about that. No. <laughs> well, it, actually, so the reason why I brought that up was Barkley is talking about how he's improving via coaching, and I, that's intriguing. But also, shout out to the guys who are doing the recruitment at Brighton or girls. I don't know what the recruitment team looks like. But you guys are signing some really interesting players that look like they're built for a different style of play. And yet Chris Hewton plays Chris Hewton football. And these players don't get to play the, the styles that you probably recruited them for. It's really interesting. I mean, obviously Brighton are doing okay. They're sort of, you know, in, in those non-danger zone spots in the, te- in the table. They're, they're 12th right now. Mm, yeah, right and, in their numbers a bit. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Well, uh, sure. But, like, they, they're the kind of team that is going to ride their numbers, right? They're going to grind out some wins. But, like, that team is... <laughs> The, the talent that they hire looks way better than the style of football that they play. And so, you know, if you have a coach that doesn't allow the talent to perform how they want to and they have to stick to the system and the system is boring, then you will uh, dampen down their scoring. Like Glenn Murray has six goals. Their, their whole squad has 12. Uh, Glenn, Glenn Murray's still scoring goals, but they've signed a lot of dudes in the meantime. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah, no, it's 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 that whole getting that buy-in right between uh, coach uh, recruitment and uh, you know <laughs> just building a squad that gets gets played and plays in the style that you want to play I mean that's you know this is one of these things that you know we we think about a lot because it's ideally your club your organization is has a joined up process throughout it's not rocket science but it's um it's something that i think you see missing uh time and again and that's that chelsea going back to chelsea that's why they're they're kind of an interesting uh, case in this study in this point because they they've they've spent 5 6 years buying players for um defensive managers and then gone in and brought sari in who's you know, turn them into something a completely different beast. And they had enough talent around, yeah, <laughs> to allow them to to play his style. Not optimally, you know. They they could improve in certain spots, and they could definitely get younger in some of the attacking spots. But you know, full full credit to him for for sort of adjusting these guys to play his style. And you know, they had some pretty good players on the squad. Apparently, so they they didn't they didn't win. It wasn't that long ago that they won the league title. So. Yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for Kovacic because he was he was basically he was basically Real Madrid's best substitute, and then in the summer he was like Croatia's Croatia's best substitute. He really struggling to get a start, even though you know obviously a smaller pool. And then and now with the small emergence of Barkley, it looks like that third midfield slot that was potentially his could could. Uh, could have drifted away for now and he could be back back on the bench again so everywhere he goes 94 percent of his passes though yeah it's like all i I just do very simple things and then they don't pick me what can i do (laughs) poor guy but anyway yeah i mean so that's that's chelsea yeah still all things looking pretty rosy there i mean i mean that's the thing you know the the top of the table is just it's fascinating three three unbeaten teams and uh you know tottenham and arsenal over overachieving but like not far off them it's it's pretty competitive and and this is the thing I had a hankering of an idea a little I don't know a month ago that Man City Chelsea was the was the one two for this season and um it's interesting we'll see where Liverpool go because obviously they've had a little kind of wobble this last kind of week or two and you know the knives are out for what, what changes can be made because um uh they don't seem to be uh, as fluid as they perhaps were earlier in this season, mm, there's 
a bit of game state stuff going on there. I think they took a lot of early leads, but I don't want to go get too far into that because we might have something on the site for that soon enough. Um, where next? Where next? Uh, what's, oh yeah, uh, Everton and Richarlison. We we were going to have a little chat about him. Yeah, Is that it- was pretty interesting actually. So like the Everton Everton summer recruitment. A bit of a mixed bag. Uh, less of a <laughs> last last summer was not a mixed bag. Last summer was bad. Um, but Richarlison was was kind of the one that like you definitely felt he was talented. Uh, they did pay a lot, so like that's the that's the both sides of it. Um, what was it about forty million? Is what? Yeah, what so anywhere between thirty five and fifty million. I've seen I've seen tired about the place. So yeah, take your pick. A lot of money anyway. You know, not not cheap for a young starlet. But you know his age indicates that you know he could continue to to keep improving. It's useful for Everton to have that type of player. Um, so yeah, he's he's been good. Um, what six goals, I guess. But uh, it's quite intriguing to to kind of look at his development and and what's happening from a shot map, which is one reason why we plot this type of stuff. Yeah, because last season it was hell of hell of a skewed left, and he's got this. He has got this kind of left skew. That's the kind of you can imagine. You know, if you think what does Richarlison do, it is basically kind of like bombing down a kind of left side, left channel, or whatever, and and bearing on goal. And yeah, he took a ton of shots last season from out there and didn't really score any. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the cool things that you know you get to feed this back to players, and and they can see it and and potentially adjust their game. He's got a ton of stuff where he cuts inside, but it's still wide of the six, and he's got zero goals from there. Like players often overestimate their ability to score from wide, and especially against elite goalkeepers who cover the angles properly and have you know wingspans, and they they know how to how to deal with that. You know, they just often it, not everybody's Thierry Henry. <laughs> I think is, yeah. is how I think of that, and and cutting in from wide, you know, it's a it's a much tougher shot than than you might think. Um, so he had a ton of those shots last year and, and basically no goals from, from sort of wide and, and moderate distance. Uh, this year, slightly different pattern. Um, you know, the goals are, are still there. We'll see he's, over, he's sort of overshooting his expected goals so far. But nevertheless, you know, he looks like a good signing. What do we think of Everton? What do I think of Everton? I, yeah. I'm quite hopeful about them. Just because I think, I mean, it's a weird kind of hodgepodge of players that they've brought in, which looks as though it could have been like an you know agent-led strategy, shall we say. But the, the, there's undeniable talent. Um, like, putting out talent on the pitch, like, pretty, pretty regularly. Um, I'd be surprised if they didn't, like, lock down their, their seventh place this season. And I think their defence is slightly better. They've... They, they've, they've had problems in defence over over recent seasons and they're just not conceding very much um, like you know opportunity wise well how have we got it XG they're about 6th or 7th kind of best defence in the, the league the attack's not not entirely f- flowing just yet but they, yeah they just have options you know like you know if, if they start Walcott who's still fine you know from a kind of non-top six Premier League standard Walcott's fine and then you have like Lookman and Bernard who can both kind of come on it, it just feels like there's depth in in their squad they have got a ridiculous amount of players so it's almost like accidental depth because they've just yeah, bought exactly. like, when and you have bought, a lot of players and bought. they're inherently deep <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah it's almost by accident over design but you know I think uh, yeah, I, I'm reasonably positive about Everton's kind of um progression uh, just because yeah 
if Richarlison really kicks on, then he, he could potentially be like Lukaku for them, as in, you know, they've they've actually bought a top-tier talent that can drive their kind of front end um, for a season or two or three or, you know, however, however long. And, yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not kind of world... I don't know world stars that they've signed, but they're solid citizens. Like someone like Lucas Digne, he's not he's not Barcelona standard, but Everton, he's he's fine, isn't he? You know, he's he's okay for that. Level. I just I just think they could have done better with that signing, right? Like, why are you signing an average player? Why are you signing somebody that doesn't have a ton of upside? Um, Walcott. So like, this is just the team of average. Like when I look at at their attackers, almost all of them are sort of in range of average. Uh, Richarlison is is decent. Uh, Tassoon is, is again, decent. Theo Walcott looks like your average wide forward now as opposed to, like, a super elite one. And, you know, he's, he's not young. Um, the the guilty bit, I'm sure there's, there's a very angry Icelandic guy that has been, like, I had to block him ages ago, but I still find him occasionally <laughs> when I do, like, uh, ancient searches. And he's just, like, constantly complaining about the fact that, you know, I... I said that the Gilfi transfer was really bad, and it was really bad because they paid forty-five million for a guy uh, that <laughs> and gave him a five-year deal who was twenty-eight. Um, last year he was not good. This year he's you know he's got four goals and a penalty, uh, but you know expected goals says he's running hot. Even if you think he's an elite finisher, it you know he's okay. You're like you don't pay forty-five million for somebody that's that's like you know average or slightly below average, especially when you've got three three more years in his thirties that that you're on the hook for a contract after this one. Um, it's but inter- yeah, they're fine. It's in yeah, it's, it's interesting because like whether Gilfie Sigerson is a success or not is almost entirely based on like whether whether someone's got on the end of his corners or his free kicks or whether he's um, whether he's um, scored from thirty yards recently, and you know some of these things are controllable a little bit, um, but they're not as controllable as you probably want them to be for your forty-five million pound player. I'd there you say. go. So yeah, so he will always run hot or cold um, to some degree. Uh, so Everton are pleasantly average. That's kind of where we're at with this. Uh, Watford are, are you know a notch above pleasantly average. Um, Wolves seem like they are also there, but behind a, a very good defense. Yeah, I, I I like Wolves. I think you know I've obviously watched them against Tottenham. We're not going to get into that today, but I I just think they're a solid unit. Um, the, you said unit. Yeah, <laughs> unit. It's a perfectly acceptable description in this. Sorry, the the, the Beavis and Buttheads occasionally kicks in from my <laughs> from my university years. They've, yeah, they've, they've, like wolves. Wolves have wolves have done what people have hoped Fulham might have done, and uh, let's not go there because where <laughs> where you keep getting bantered off about Fulham. And that's my own fault. I, 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 I'm yeah. glad that I'm not gambling this year because, like, <laughs> I would be lose. I would have lost so much money on Fulham futures. <laughs> oh yeah, I, 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 you just keep thinking they're going to turn the corner. They were so bad against uh, who did we play? I can't even think who they played now. Oh, Huddersfield. Yeah, that was. It was just just nothing. Absolutely and, nothing. When we talked about them, we we were like joking around. It was like, oh, it's not time to panic. They've got an attack. They're they're you know not bottom. They're like you know fifth from bottom or something like that, and uh, it should be fine. They can score against the bad teams. Well, they've been giving up scads of goals against the bad teams and not scoring nearly enough. And you're like something is horribly wrong. Ted, I've this. got news for you. They haven't got an attack at all. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, anyway, but th- Mitrovic is good. But like suddenly they can't get the ball to Mitrovic. Yeah, and Andre Shirla decides that he's going to be Andre Shirla and. 
The good, the good thing about the result Monday night, Huddersfield-Fulham, was that it's just opened up the bottom. There's now seven teams within three points of 20th place. So West Ham three points ahead of that. So it looks like early days. Obviously, one of the teams from slightly above that will, will slowly drop into the mix because one always does, always does. Brighton look like likely candidates there. But you've got your kind of middle tier that has kind of leapt ahead of that. Brighton um, have 14 points, though. Yeah, but it only takes two or three weeks when you don't get a win, and then you then you're back in the mix. They're eight points, nine points above the bottom. Ted, look, <laughs> at their, look at their numbers; they're horrible numbers. Anyway, but, <laughs> but we've been here with Burnley before, who are part of this mix and have horrible numbers. So, well, exactly. But if you bank <laughs> points, then you know it changes the probability. It does, but so but seven points within uh, sorry seven teams within three points of of the relegation uh zone including bloody southampton oh my god anyway but yeah it's 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 hotting up there and and it's good because we don't really want teams to cut adrift like early i still don't like huddersfield's chances um of kind of carving out wins they winning feel- a lot of one nils <laughs> yeah that is that's a risky strategy looking to edge edge games against your rivals. I tore I Karenka is suggesting that that might not keep you up. It probably doesn't, does it? And um, uh, Yeah. It will shape up well. I mean, a few more weeks we'll learn a bit more, but at least it's open. At least we haven't got teams de- dead on their feet already. And Cardiff can probably feel a little bit aggrieved that they're kind of level bottom because their numbers don't quite reflect that. Still, still, they're, you know mildly promising on that front who are we going to talk about next Man City game we're going to have a little talk about because that, that looked fun we we um, hinted on it earlier 6-1 win uh, 4-1 up in the first half and then it went to 5-1 then they conceded a bunch of chances so when you look this is an interesting case of when you look at the old XG maps you look at the XG map for this game it looks like oh my god Man City gave up loads um, and you know wasn't a great performance for them well yeah they gave up loads when they were um like I say, 4-1 and 5-1 up. And really, it, we collect pressures with Stats Bomb, as, as many of you listeners will know. And there weren't many pressures in this game. <laughs> no, there weren't many at all. Um, there were very few pressure events. There it, were a lot of passes inside the box before <laughs> a number of shots or non-shots. <laughs> See, if, if you were cruel, you'd say that looked like a training game. If you were... Looking at some of the like numbers surrounding them, it does bring up the question: like, a team's now like smaller teams going to literally turn up at Man City with so little expectation of getting anything out of the game? Um, you know, obviously Man City scored like four goals in the first half without really extending themselves. Um, and then what's what do you do then? You literally just hope that Man City have got one of these kind of gentlemen's agreement things where they don't run up ten, and they just like. I'm not. I'm not sure that you're allowed to say gentlemen's agreement in Man City right now with the football league stuff coming out. <laughs> Maybe there are better ways to approach that. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. There's Moving a- across Manchester, let's talk about a team that you actually do expect to get something out of. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Bournemouth were scrappy this weekend. That was a, that was a really shockingly open game. Um, yeah, that would, and really game of two halves. Like uh, Bournemouth, brilliant in the first twenty minutes, ripped Man United apart. Looks looks like everything that the good side of what we've seen from Bournemouth this season. And then Man United nips a goal for half time, and then we're much the stronger team second half, and obviously stole stole the win late on, which felt I mean. 
it felt like a bit. That's the kind of thing that happens to Bournemouth. It's because they, you know, they, they've they've had a good schedule. They've done really well. They've got most of the points that they'd hoped to get, and but they always they always seem to come up short against the big teams. And I don't know what it is. It the thing is, it doesn't matter if you know. We're talking about you know, our Brighton in the mix with fourteen points. Bournemouth have got twenty points. Yeah, yeah, they they're they're absolutely fine. I mean, it's really like how far can they go? But like United got shredded. Uh, that that first half and and even like some some parts in the in the beginning of the second half, like, that's a very competitive game. Um, and twenty shots again. We talk about how United just do not control uh, the shots and, and opposing teams at all. They have no game control, yeah. and so they end up riding finishing variants. Uh, Bournemouth this time around looks like they're a bit unlucky. They you know our expected goals numbers I think had them over three. For the yeah. game, and a lot of that was put up in the in the first half. But you know, coming out in the second half, they had a, another really sort of high quality chance. So um, yeah, it's an interesting interesting match, and and United are continued to be an absolute mess on the underlying numbers, but they're riding some results at the moment. It it was yeah like a basketball match. I mean, what do we like three point two to two point five? It's like this is crazy. What's going on? I mean, this I think it's so unlike traditional Mourinho. But then, so much about what's going on now is unlike traditional media. There was like there was a good article um, ESPN ran this week about Mourinho's life, and he's still living in the hotel, and you know he's he's a little bit kind of sullen, and goes to work, comes home, and you know his family are hundreds of miles away, and you know he's really settling in for the long term. And um, but yeah, it, it just it just the output of what you see just isn't traditional Mourinho like a strong defence is, is like the core to everything he's he's done I don't understand why he's, he seems to have abandoned Ander Herrera who feels like the right guy for that midfield at the moment especially when Ander gonna... like has been eternally underrated at United he does all sorts of things um, also he, I, I always appreciate his shithousing and you as a Spurs fan that's just natural <laughs> for you um, so I, I like Ander he's not really in the mix but like the, the team that looks like traditional Mourinho is Wolves <laughs> yeah. and, and United look like some other entity that's that's more like completely open and and sort of like creates fun games to watch. But yeah, they're like Bournemouth, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's not even that long ago that you know Mourinho would set up for nil nil in any. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Just getting ripped apart by Bournemouth, even allowing for Bournemouth being a, a potentially an improved side. Not a good look, even if you sneak the win in the ninetieth minute. Anyway. All right, well, let's jump across the channel. Um, not talk about PSG, although I was at the game on Friday night. Uh, oh, got a really? chance to see Mbappe <laughs> and Neymar in person again. Um, I saw them up at Anfield. Like, it's just, they're delightful to watch. Lille actually were really good in the first half, uh, really stunted the attack, um, but there was a deflected goal there. Marquinhos was probably the best player on the pitch, and um, and PSG win 2-1. Yeah, it's a it's a good atmosphere. But the place that I wanted to jump to was Deutschland. Right. So who are the three leading goal scorers in the Bundesliga, James? Well, I can tell you this because I got it on my screen. But I know I, I wasn't I wasn't asking you unprompted this time. <laughs> uh, it, uh, two guys from Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah. And uh, Luka Jovic and Sebastian Haller and uh, Gladbach's Thorgan Hazard. Thorgan. Thorgan has the same number of goals as Eden. That's a, yeah, that's a fun little kind of uh, race up. There was a thing on Twitter, wasn't it? They've got another brother who scored a goal in the Belgian league. How many hazards are there? <laughs> this could be endless stream of successful hazards. But I, more importantly, since they're in Europe, are they all dukes? <laughs> yeah, I've no response to that. 
Uh, the dad jokes, you know, I'm, I'm just that old. Deuce Faz was my favourite programme when I was about five years old. Of course. It's absolutely brilliant. Until um, superseded by the A-team or something. But anyway. so, well, yeah, as, as you get darker, your parents will let you watch things that have involved guns. I had a friend, um, I had a friend who was banned from watching the A-team because it was too violent. It was like, no yes. one gets killed. No one gets killed. Anyway. Still, like, the threat of violence is enough. Um, so Frankfurt is kind of interesting in that last year, Kovac was there, and now he's Bayern Munich's head coach. Uh, and I feel like they played a lot tighter. This year, they're a bit more open and, and like, lots of goal scoring. Um, <clears throat> so Jovic is, is the top. Sebastian Haller uh, is second, and Thorgan is third. Uh, now, Haller is interesting from my perspective. Um, he was the top forward recruit that we wanted to get back at Brentford. Um, so we we knew that we were probably going to lose Andre, uh, Andre Gray in the summertime. And <clears throat> it's uh, we didn't really have a backup. I think Tommy Smith was the backup. Uh, Kogia was the guy that we had pushed forward, among others. Um, also, uh, oh, what's his name? He was at Heidenheim and then at Freiburg. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, so You're testing so these, my limits of knowledge there. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Uh, he, he's, probably, he's probably still there. But um, so we were trying to, these were the guys that we had pushed in January to try and, and get um, a deal because uh, we only had one forward. And, and, you know, you don't want to run Andre Gray into the ground. And we were hopefully potentially going to be in automatic positions. But if you need to go to the playoffs, like you'd like to have some freshness. So anyway, um, Haller was there and he was on loan from Auxerre uh, at Utrecht. There's uh, a complicated set of things there. but um, And we looked at him and there was this clause that was like 800K euros uh, to buy him outright. And we were like, man, I don't know. Uh, that's really interesting. Like that's cheap, cheap, cheap for us. Um, oh, so the... The guy at Freiburg is uh, Florian Niederlechner, who's who scored you know semi regularly on a bad team in the Bundesliga. So like that was pretty good. Um, so yeah, we Haller was there, and it was like one of those early days when we were just learning about things. We couldn't find who his agent was. It was like this this maze of of like who the hell moved this guy and who represents him. So we can find out like you know if he's potentially viable. Are they gonna execute the clause? Like does he want to stay in the Netherlands? And so we were on top of this like so early and could have had him for like 800k, but that was there and it didn't didn't quite work out. And then later, like Norwich came available and they tried to buy him for like, I don't know, four, four and a half that summer. Um, also, it didn't happen for them. I think he didn't want to go to Norwich. They were like in and around relegation and then got relegated. Um, and now he's like one of the leading scorers in the Bundesliga. And uh, the the summer that, that sort of like the next summer, someone asked me, you know, it's I think it's actually in the Nabi Keita piece. Um, would you prefer Holler or uh, Vincent Janssen? <laughs> and uh, I, we also really liked Janssen. He scored buckets, and for whatever reason, he stopped scoring when he moved to Spurs. Um, and I said, you know, I kind of leave Holler for reasons that I can't fully explain. Uh, part of it was that Utrecht were a slow-paced team, and he was pretty good in a slow-paced team. But his passing was really, really spectacular. Like, he just created goals for other people. And he he has the ability to just, I don't know, every, it seems like every year you get two or three goals out of him that are just breathtaking. Uh, so, yeah, he's one of the, the top three leading scorers in the, in the Bundesliga right now. Pretty cool. Uh, the other one that, that's interesting on this list, and I guess there are two, but um, 
<laughs> in in the what is it tied for seventh? Alessand Plié, who used to be at Nice and who was kind of a guy that everybody loved. Uh, Jonas Hoffman, who had pl- tons of injuries. He's a Gladbach. Gladbacher, fun to watch this year. Uh, but then uh, Rice Rice Baby, uh, Rice Nelson, who is a loanee from, from Arsenal. Like the, the English loanees in the, in the Bundesliga t- seem to be putting up a lot of stats. I keep seeing things on my timeline statement from people saying like to temper the enthusiasm about Rice Nelson. It's like he has scored goals, but yeah, whether his all-round performances has matched that is, um, is uh, you know, remains to be seen. I mean, he's 18 years old. For growing he's up. 18. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, you allow a few, a few little... Uh, kind of rough around the edge parts to a player's game but yeah I mean what what, what more can you do at that age as I, I've know? heard multiple pronunciations of his name uh, I, I choose to like lean towards the German like the REI is, is automatically an I sound so doom 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 Go by, go quick advice. I like I like the look of Luka Jovic um, based on a uh, little stats kind of look last season um, he, he, when he kind of got into the team, obviously he's scored five goals in one match this season, so he's he's top of top of the goal scoring charts, <laughs> at least part partly due to that. But yeah, it's certainly an interesting player to keep an eye on. He is. Uh, the Bundesliga is fun. They're, they're kind of a different profile than they used to be. They're not as good as they used to be. Um, used to be right there with England and Spain in terms of overall quality. That hasn't been true for a couple of years now. But like, there are plenty of good matches and different styles now too. Like, it kind of got lumped into uh, you know a pretty common set of styles, like a lot of pressing. Uh, and then there was always like Lucien Favre that was kind of the the offbeat there. Uh, he went down to France for a couple of years. Now he's come back. Dortmund are at the top of the table. Not sure that that's going to last. But Gladbach, München. And Leipzig all there, and and pretty different groups. And then Frankfurt are in the Euro spots. Yeah, Dortmund's last two games are uh, interesting from a kind of five watch versus XG. Um, <laughs> the at the weekend, I think they they won one nil. They didn't allow a lot, but they only had one shot on target and they scored it. Um, so you know, ten shots or something. So it was a little bit of an underwhelming performance that they got the win on. And then last night, um, it kind of difficult, difficult to kind of. Uh, manage uh, a Champions League group where it looks like they're going to go through anyway. The away match at uh, Atletico, and they only had four shots and didn't get didn't get any on target. So, yeah, um, how good are Dortmund? They're 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 every season Dortmund are a curiosity of, as to is this a good team? Is this a hot team? Is this a what's what is this team? And you know, it takes had. Ralph Hunningstein had a, had a cool piece on ESPN that had like a lot of background of things that Favre works on and sort of getting shots off early and stuff like that. And like a very good attention to detail coach. Uh, yeah, I yeah. thought that was that was a, a nice piece and, and a bit of insight there. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still it's on the forever agenda to, to really dig into his teams and kind of see if we can find out a little bit more about exactly what they're doing. Uh, if it is, you know, a, a kind of, like a tactical issue that means that they and they people wonder why they fool models. I had a look. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but I had a look, quick look, and they're miles ahead of their XG in attack and roughly level in defence. And I could find indicators in defence and nothing in attack. So, yeah, it's it's tough. So it does what, help to have very good, very fast players. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Uh, I, I think that's like the biggest spoof on XG, right? Like if you have really fast players, even in our stuff, 
and you're able to get shots off earlier than the goalkeeper might be expecting, like you probably are going to have a higher expectation in terms of goal scoring probability than you would otherwise. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's one way to, to spoof it. Um, even, even with our data, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Sometimes teams just go on runs. They just do. That's that's how that's how statistics work. There's a lot of football that gets played. Yeah, it's, it's not all. Well, plenty of it isn't isn't solvable. But it's kind of fun trying to find out sometimes. So ooh ooh. We'll um, and that. I had one more that I I kind of wanted to push up, and I I got to bring him up on the screen because uh, uh, let me see Verde. So the, the first low knee that uh, we tried to get, and actually the first agent meet that we ever went to was a guy named Daniela Verde. Uh, he's at Valladolid right now. Um, and <laughs> I was reminded of this story because someone was talking to me about Milan. And I was like, oh, man, I remember my trip to Milan. Um, I've had a couple of them. Like One of them was to, to meet Gianni Vio back when he was at uh, AC Milan as well uh, to talk to him about set pieces. But the, the agent meet was we met in the plaza next to the duomo uh, and i was like oh my god this this is so gorgeous and we're really excited because there's this young player from roma um i had been to talk to uh jim palotta and uh and a guy named alex zaka who who runs a lot of stuff at roma and in person in charleston uh, jim brought me out to, to talk about what we'd done at at brentford with matthew's permission actually uh, to talk about how we were using data and stuff like that. And then, like, the hope was that we would be able to, to, to potentially build a relationship and bring in some of the talents out of the Roma Academy occasionally on loan. Um, so, like, Verde was a guy that we really liked. He was actually, you know, putting up some some reasonable numbers that didn't look out of place in Serie A. And Serie A is obviously a better league than the championship. Um, <laughs> but I, I do remember being uh, in one meeting, like, who's this Daniela Verde kid on the, uh, on the, on the list this week? I was like, well, he's, he's built like a bearded Shakiri. <laughs> like if you've watched him it's like a weirdly a weirdly accurate uh i haven't seen his beard recently but a really accurate look um so anyway, we show up at this uh at this meet with the agent and we know like what the salary looks like because like brentford can't cover huge salaries but you know his his contract is something that we can cover and the agent that we had been dealing with was you know his agent but then he shows up with one of the shark agents that i'm not going to name him but He's a guy that if you've been around football a while, like he's one of those guys you're like, oh, really? Like we got to deal with this guy. And <laughs> suddenly, suddenly he's like, all right, so you need to pay two times what the player makes for, to, for the player to come to London and loan him. I was like, what? Like, no, that's that's the deal. You have to pay two times. It's like, but we know that his contract is this. And we have, um, you know, there's there's a guy who works at Smart Odds that speaks fluent Italian and like will you know he'll help out in the relationship and like we're gonna take really good care of this kid and this and this and, this. and they're like nope nope that's it and Ricardo Lerndart was there and like love Ricky Ricky's um, Ricky's great and did a lot of things at Brentford that like never got enough credit he was the guy that that brought in um, Holta as well and uh, and well, Ricky's like starts to explain all of these things and and suddenly he's like no okay well that's that's the deal and if you don't like it um, you know. It's not happening, and then he just walked away. So we went to we went to Milan for you know it's like a two hour flight, and we had like a ten minute meeting, and then the shark agent is just there and, and just completely scuppers the deal. You're like, oh, seriously? And so anyway, he's um, Verde disappeared into like some garbage clubs that he got loaned to, and then just this year he's been at, at Valladolid. 
uh, scored a goal against Espanyol. Um, he's still quite an interesting guy, and he was so young when we found him that you know even three, four years after this happened, he's still just 22 years old. So uh, I, I thought that was like while I was telling stories, that was a fun one that I was reminded of based on uh, on someone bringing up the Duomo and, and Milan. Yeah, I don't so, know him. He's, he's, he obviously had a few, he got a few minutes at Verona last season, and then well, it's it's amazing how these kids just get lost, you know, like the and 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 why, like why did this guy get lost? There are good places to loan players and bad places to loan players, and you know places that have a, a history of making sure that young players get minutes. That's quite valuable to you, as opposed to places that are just nowheresville, but do they? They end up going there for whatever reason, and I, you know, we don't often have insight into reason as to why what happens in football and why. So yeah, like it's it's something that the teams have to be really careful about, and plenty of teams nowadays have loan officers that are responsible for like finding good homes for kids in terms of like fit and style of play and coaching. Um, so you know, we've talked about on this pod before, like don't loan young attackers to Tony Pulis. Yeah, (laughs) there's been some funny ones like that. Yeah, it it just it just strikes me as just a logical kind of uh, process. You know, when you're when you're tending the futures of many young players, any of which could come forward and and prove to be huge assets to you, then you should really kind of invest in that process. Not necessarily like with huge sums of money, but just with bureaucracy and organisation and. All teams should do that. It's just well, and and you need to recognize the the players are both a cost and an asset. Um, you know, we don't know if that's going to continue if the if the transfer market changes or anything like that. But like, they're also kids, and in, in many cases, and you need to find like a lot of different ways to take care of them and make sure that they advance as you know people and that they advance as players. Um, and yeah, I'm these young guys going to to the Bundesliga. Like part of that is to continue their advancement as players and they seem to be doing quite well because of it. So, you know, if you can go play in, in Bundesliga in a slightly more open league with like good tactical stuff going on as a young attacker and do well from England, like that's probably better than you than going to like League One or even the championship right now. Um, and, and you know, smart agents are kind of directing their players this way, but also smart teams are saying, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Please go go there, get playing time. And, and, you know, we'll see you next year or, or maybe even in two years uh, when you're probably going to be close to ready for the Premier League. Yeah, and especially when you think about how the the bigger teams in the Premier League have stockpiled players over, over recent seasons, especially in their academies and, and stuff. You know, just even if the route to the, the first team isn't there, the route to creating assets that they can they can um, therefore sell on uh, at some point and, you know, maybe they do hit pay dirt with, a, I don't know, a Joe Gomez or a, I don't know, Deli Alley's not a good example because they bought him out from out I mean Joe Gomez came from where did he come from was it Charlton or something Charlton anyway. I think Charlton has a, a really good pipeline of players like they seem to produce a, a very good young player almost every year mm, yeah but yeah that whole idea of um, just <laughs> just making sure that they're yeah you're, you're tending to your assets really and uh, and giving them the best opportunity they can to succeed because otherwise what are you doing anyway <laughs> alright so we got one more weekend of football and then we go into international break. Now, we like international break these days because it means that we get to, to catch up on a lot of work and you know, you're not watching as much football. For everybody else, you know, you got one more, one more international break before like, we hit the, the really big run into the holiday season. Um, so anyway, thanks for listening to the Stats Bomb podcast. Uh, lots of good stuff on the site. Always come visit. And thanks for talking to me, James. We'll see you next week, Ted. <laughs>